welcome to episode 226 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Jesse Alva. And Lydia Creech. And in today's episode, we will be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we will be continuing our Listener's Choice series with 2002's adaptation. Uh, We will talk a little bit about who made that pick and where they're from in the second part. But let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week. We have a lot of new releases, and we're going to kick it off with one that I've seen on a lot of best of lists, as well as Oscar shortlist and that is the favorite uh it's the latest from yorgos lanthimos greek's favorite masochist and uh it's set in 18th century england and follows the close relationship between queen anne and sarah churchill uh which is soon threatened by the arrival of sarah's cousin abigail hill resulting in a bitter rivalry between the two cousins to be the queen's favorite uh the queen is played by olivia coleman and emma stone and rachel vice play the two cousins uh nicholas holt is also in the movie as well as this as one of the party members trying to sway uh the queen and to his favor so yeah this is the latest from yorgos lantham most people know him from the lobster dog tooth uh the killing of a sacred deer and yeah uh as as they say for me honestly this ain't it chief but uh (laughs) lydia jesse what did you guys think of the favorite i didn't feel super strongly about it but i liked it um i from the trailers i was kind of like that looks a little gay. I'm hoping that's a little gay. Might not be a little gay. Might be reading too much into that. Um, so I was very pleased that it was a little gay. Um, Do you have like a meter when you're watching trailers and you're just like ch- like doing a gay meter for each trailer? I mean, I feel like it, it's pretty obvious in the trailer that it is, but I was like, I hope I'm not reading into this and then I'm wrong and then I'm very disappointed. Um, like you watch a Michael Bay trailer and it just goes all the way to the other side like and it's just like aggressively straight. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't pay that much attention to Michael Bay trailers, but that's on me. <laughs> it's a Kinsey one. Okay. <laughs> You're good. Anyway, sorry. Um, I inter- Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fun. Um, I'm not sure if I can call myself a Yorgos Lanthimos fan. I really liked The Lobster. Um, uh, don't remember liking Dogtooth all that much, but it's been several years. And um, didn't like Killing of a Sacred Deer. So I was disappointed. But I, I was hopeful because it looked good. I'm a huge Emma Stone fan. Huge. That seems that seems like a strong wording. I really like Emma Stone. She's very cute. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know. what Lydia, what do you think? Yeah, I also thought it was okay. I don't feel that strongly about it. I really like... I mean, I like period pieces. And I thought all of the costumes and the production design were gorgeous. Uh really big fan of writing outfits <laughs> like that's cool uh they are cool i think i think maybe it was supposed to be funnier and the favorite might be funnier on a rewatch i it reminded me a lot of barry linden like things are kind of taking a long time but they're weird as like i think this is supposed to be a joke um or well, it is like very obviously supposed to be a joke. I'm thinking of like the ballroom dance scene where Rachel Vice is like, "I'm gonna go dance," and you think it's gonna be one of those like 
stand in a line and touch hands like courtly but oh my god yeah <laughs> but instead it's like this weird modern absurd and i could tell it was supposed to be hilarious but it wasn't like landing for me it was like maybe too weird i don't know so like maybe a lot of it a lot of it i feel like it's one of those like you're kind of looking back and forth like is this funny what, what? is this is this real is this yeah. happening oh oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay yeah yeah like <laughs> you realize yeah, this is uh, this is not this is not usual. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I see, this is a joke. Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, I feel that. Well, that's kind of like it. It definitely is trying to have that whole Barry Lyndon mm-hmm. vibe. Uh, do you think that Lord Yorgos Lanthimos has ever met like another human being? <laughs> like, do you know? Do you think he knows what human beings are? I, I, I'm just I, from watching his movies. I don't think he's ever met like another human being, and I'm kind of concerned um. for his just <laughs> well-being, living in the in in the world. It's 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 funny. He's definitely. Go ahead, sorry. No, it's, I was just going to say, like, because he he definitely wants to kind of have this, like, Kubrickian vibe, so you could see why he would want to do this and have a comparison to Barry Lyndon. But I was thinking about that, and the thing about Barry Lyndon that makes it, one, entertaining in its kind of funnier moments, and two, just much more effective, is that his characters are so human. Like, like there's an think- opaqueness to... Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just. You didn't think Olivia Coleman was? I think. I mean, I. Oh, she's she. Oh, she's the best character. She's okay. she's over. She's what overacting everybody else. Like she's so much better than everybody else, and because she she does feel like this like human character. But I felt like Emma Stone was kind of just this opaque person, and so was Rachel Weisz, and they were all playing to like they were playing just straight line what they thought it should be in the in the world of Yorgos Lanthimos and Olivia Coleman was doing this whole other thing that was so lively and and I think that's why these jokes didn't land because they you, whenever you have these just uh stale you know hum- humanoid robot people who are trying to perform them it doesn't it's just not funny like it's the, like they're just not funny and the thing that's so uh fantastic about kubrick especially in barry linden is that his characters are so human and that's what makes them so flawed and stupid and uh sad for that whole movie and that's what's effective about it and this one doesn't have that because they're other than olivia coleman they didn't invite any humans to this movie I didn't. I've never seen Barry Lyndon, so I can't really comment. Um, but I do think in every film I've seen by Lanthimos, he's definitely creating almost like an alternate universe where everything is almost just like the real world, except for some very key, subtle differences that <laughs> make it. I mean, <laughs> they, they're very pronounced. But you're like, this is almost like what we got. But then no. But then it's not. Um, I thought that this movie specifically compared to the other three that I've seen by him are is carries a pretty different feeling throughout didn't have to me it didn't have that similar like perfunctory kind of acting style that yeah um, the they talked normal and, yeah yeah that the lobster and um killing of a sacred deer had I felt like it worked really well on the lobster I did not think it worked for a killing um, and I didn't see that so much in this. I thought, felt like this was very much its own thing, but still had that sen- that essence that he kind of carries throughout all of his movies. And 
No, you're 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 100 right, and that's probably because he didn't like this was the first of his movies that he's kind of had wide release for that he didn't write. So that uh, might be that, that might have been the tell. reason. But sorry, lady, <laughs> I interrupted you. I was just gonna say, speaking like he makes these worlds that something else is a little bit off. I think like English court in the 17th century kind of falls in that because everybody has to play by the queen's temper like is she in a good mood today or is she gonna scream at a footboy for looking at her <laughs> uh so it's kind of like a little off world and I was but listening to it's something. real it, like it really happened i guess yeah Qu- maybe queen not Anne. did the lesbian romance really happen Oh, that I don't know. I wish. I hope. Um, I'm not that well versed in the history to, really to speak to that. But no, I, th- I, th- I think you made a good, I make a good point though, because he he does like the lobster and the killing of a sacred deer for sure. Even though they have like these modern settings, feel like they're on this, uh, you know, sci-fi space, this otherworldly, uh, pl- place. And this one definitely doesn't feel that way. And I wonder if that is because he, uh, didn't write this one. And maybe that's also some of the agitation between whether his style works with the screenplay, because it's kind of like, it's, it's almost as if Wes Anderson directed something and the script was written by just some random person. Like I feel like not, I just feel like Yorgos Lanthimos has a very singular aesthetic to how he makes his movies. And so maybe just that, that having somebody else writing it and him trying to implant his Yorgos Lanthimosness on it is kind of what uh, separated it a little bit for me. But also, I'm just not super in the bag for him constantly. So I was, I, and to be fair, I kind of went in and was like, did anybody see Love and Friendship from a few years ago? Because that was a masterpiece. Yeah, oh, so. that's what Andrew said about it too. Um, I heard him, Andrew listening to some podcast I'm not really sure who it is so don't quote me um, but they were interviewing Olivia Coleman about it and kind of I guess um, investigating her character in it and saying like yeah I mean she she acts like a lunatic whatever but she lost 16 children 16 children <laughs> carrying them losing them at one point or another in their you know conception to birth she can act however the fuck she wants. Right. She can do whatever she wants to. <laughs> and, like, who's, like, nobody needs to give her crap for it because that. That's a lot I of can't grief, that yeah. Experience. And then didn't seem like she had, like, a. There didn't. There was no king, as far as I could tell. I mean, so she's in this alone with, like, people who are all figuring out how to play her and get what they want personally. And uh, <laughs> she can do what she needs to do. Uh, so I thought, I thought her character, especially when you find out that very human element to her makes her just all the more, I guess, interesting to watch, no matter what she's doing. Well, you had to meet one human. You had to meet one of them. There was, there was one human in the movie, and she was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and the bunnies. The bunnies... Yeah, they were yes. fun, too. I <laughs> love the bunnies. I love the gay stuff. Everything else was, was fun, too, but... Uh, the other big movie that I, I believe a lot of us caught this past weekend was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which uh, 
What a title. Love the title. It's a lot. Uh, this <laughs> is a animated Spider-Man movie, contrary to the Marvel live action ones that have been coming out. Uh, and it's it was written and produced by Chris uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who people know from the 21 Jump Street series, as well as the Lego movies. Um, and this one follows, rather than Peter Parker, it follows Miles Morales, who is trying to be a you know, relatively typical Spider-Man story. He's trying to be a high school student, but he's also you know he gets the powers of spider-man and so he's learning about being spider-man and all uh all the while there's this uh very uh i don't know i I try to explain the plot pretty much the gist of it is that uh the bad guy kingpin opens up this kind of riff in the in the universe and all of these different timelines of spider-man characters come to uh miles morales's timeline uh they include an older version of peter parker who is who, who is uh kind of done with being spider-man is uh, a little gruff he's voiced by jake johnson you have spider-man noir who, <laughs> voiced by nicholas cage who comes from the <laughs> 1930s you have uh spider gwen the gwen stacy character who's voiced by Haley stein uh, and then you have Spider Ham, my personal favorite, uh, voiced by John Mulaney, and then Penny Parker, uh, who has my her uh, her Spider Man robot, uh, voiced by Kimiko Glenn. And so all of these Spider Man versions are all together to to fight the bad guy. And Miles Morales is is kind of figuring out how he fits into this whole Spider Verse, as they will. And I kind of feel like that plot makes it sound super silly and super stupid. But this is a really great movie that we all liked. Um, Jesse, I'm going to kick off with you because I guess spoiler alert: you said this is one of your favorites of the year. Yeah, um, I like basically about halfway through. I'm like, wow, this is definitely one of the best movies I've seen all year. Um, visually, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, it's it's um, it's animated, um, and I, we didn't watch it in 3D. I wish we did. I would still. I would pay to go see it again and watch it in 3D because I've heard that the, that extra bit is really worth it. But I mean, even not being uh, 3D viewing screening for me, um, I just it was just jumping off the screen. I mean, I think that the the animation style is just so heavily creative. Um, kind of reminded me a lot of another movie I saw this year, Night of Short Walk on Girl, just with how I don't know, just how off the wall and creative and just stunning it looked. So that alone was very fun for me um and the 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 whole comedic element i mean it's definitely reminiscent of lego movies so i can see um how those writers would you know can hear that voice um in the way that it was written it also re- reminded me and this is maybe gonna sound like a bad thing but i mean it completely as a compliment it reminded me a lot of like the deadpool movies and i love the deadpool movies um it's i mean it's a PG version of all that goes on in Deadpool, but just so <laughs> spunky and so witty and fun and self-aware, and I just adored it. I thought I thought it's amazing. Um, what do you guys think? Well, the one I kind of compared it to more is it. It kind of reminds me of uh, a movie that came out earlier this year, Avengers: Infinity War, where you have like all of these different superhero characters all together trying to get sc- screen time. And this one just feels much more uh, fluid with how it's using all of its different characters. Like everybody gets their li- gets their little moments, and we learn a little bit about them, and they're all you know riffing off each other. But it never feels like we're forcing some character in. You know, we get the perfect amount 
amount of time of you know spider ham honestly we could probably take a little bit more of them because i enjoy john mulaney but every one of the characters you get a little taste of them and it's fun and uh i really like miles morales as 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 spider-man i talked a little bit about it in my review that i wrote for uh cinematary but i feel like this is a perfect movie for to kind of push the superhero uh, genre a little forward because one it feels like the complete embodiment of like what a comic book movie should be like just the like uh jesse was talking about the the visual uh the, the the animated visuals are just so uh radical and psychedelic times like it's it, it reminds me of uh the steve ditko uh psychedelia that they brought to the comics in, in marvel at, for a while that really just kind of turned everything on its heads it's a just animated wise it's such a crazy movie uh lydia what did you think of this uh, i'm gonna co-sign everything you all just said about like the visual style and how it handles like comic book mythos one of my favorite things they did is like we all know you know spider-man's origin story uh the line that keeps coming up is like okay one last time and then they introduce each little person's yeah like, one last story. time and then they do that like three more times but it's fine <laughs> three more time yes it's it's fun because yeah. you know f- we've had four spider-mans now in since the 2000s <laughs> so it's like okay everybody kind of knows who this is but they handle it really well and since i'm not a comic book person i didn't know about miles morales and i was really happy to meet him he's like such a cool kid and i think uh i don't know i think people will like him if they don't know him like i don't know how do you hate spider-man he's been super popular on the on the comic end because he's been out for a while as like the new spider-man uh they play that they play that narrative beat in this movie where Peter Parker and his timeline uh, is killed and so then Miles Morales takes over as Spider-Man and I know whenever Marvel was rebooting the live action version they wanted uh, a lot of fans wanted him that Miles Morales to take over as the main Spider-Man and so I'm kind of glad that this exists because even though I, I don't know what you people would classify as like the quote real Spider-Man uh, movies but this one I feel like I mean honestly I, I love Spider-Man more than I, it's just I love it so much I've loved it since I was a kid so I'll go I, I told Andrew I'm in the bag for these movies no matter what and I think that this uh, might be my favorite Spider-Man like feature film of all time like it's so like as a spider-man movie it's it's incredible but also just as a normal mm-hmm. movie it's really oh, fantastic yeah. um i felt a little skeptical kind of like that was we went for our friend's birthday um to go see it our adult friend's birthday <laughs> to go see it and um, i was like <laughs> eh, yeah okay this this could be fun i guess um but and I mean, I liked the Spider-Man, the original, or not original, but the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that came out when I was a kid. Um, but uh, since then, I've not really kept up with them. But this, gosh, I mean, even as like a not not overly Spider-Man fan, I just, it's a, it's awesome. Um, I've been recommending everybody go try to go see it. Um, just do it. Just go see it <laughs> and be wowed because it's just so much fun and it's, Wow. It's yeah. like mind-blowingly good animation. They Yeah, it's it's really just uh, worth Tasha going to Robinson. see for that. Uh-huh. Tasha Robinson tweeted out an interview I think from The Verge where they talked about having to reinvent like CGI algorithms to like get it to do what they want it to do. And it's A that's a really good interview and B it, it's totally worth the effort. 
And what a fun crew, too. I mean, Miles Morales is Afro-Latino, um, like, main titular character of the film. Um, and so that's really great representation. And just on a personal level, he reminds me so much of one of my students. Um, just the way he looks. And one of my, my student even wears, like, a little Spider-Man sweatshirt all the time. And, like, they, he looks just like him. He looks like a cartoon version of my student. And, like, the, how cool is that? Just to see that kind of representation in a huge mainstream, super popular movie. I love it. And then we've got Gwen Stacy as, like, the blonde female Spider-Man. We've got the original Peter Parker Spider-Man. Um, a pig. Um, a little <laughs> anime girl Spider-Man. Pig representation. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's, it's really all over the place. And that's a lot of fun and that's really awesome to see um, movies that are so creative and also so diverse in casting um, I think I think that that's great it's it's just phenomenal it's definitely one of my favorites definitely both of those are in theaters now so check them out uh, Jesse I'm going to toss it over to you to talk about a film that you caught this past week on Netflix called Alex Strangelove and I just want to read the IMDB synopsis real quick before you dive in because <laughs> it's it's like I don't know what to make of it. So Alex, the high school class president, nerd, and a straight-A student has been dating Claire a long time. They decide to sleep together, but then he meets a gay guy and gets confused. That's the end of the... Are you serious? That's the synopsis. That's what it is. So tell us about this. He meets a gay guy and gets confused. Okay. So so I'm going to admit something sort of embarrassing, which is that, like... I, I see a lot of the like the queer cinema on Netflix and I'm always wanting to watch it like as a as a queer person I'm always like yeah what's out there but I also have this weird like awkward like inner dialogue of embarrassment where I'm like oh my god I'm really gonna just sit here and I don't know why there's no reason to feel that way but um then I just don't I feel like I I, I kind of had my eye on this movie it looked cute um but the, the description sounds so stupid and the, the like image of this awkward little teen boy in like the blue background with a question mark heart around him and these two like girl and guy on either side of him. It all looks super dumb. Um, but I really I really thought the movie was very sweet and cute. And I think that the all the visuals and all the descriptors really sell it short. Um, I guess just to give the background information, it's directed by Craig Johnson um, and came out this year. Um, looks like Johnson also worked on um, True Adolescence, Wilson and the Skeleton Twins. I don't. I've never heard of. I've never seen any of those before. Oh, the Skeleton Twins is the one. Uh, it's the one with Bill Hader and yeah. and Kristen Wiig and their brother and sister. Yeah. Did you like it? It was okay. Okay. So um, in the in the movie, um, his name is. True love, Alex. True love, not Alex. Strange love, um, and they kind of make jokes about that. Can I just movie. say that's a really stupid name? It's super name. stupid, and also the name of the movie is super <laughs> stupid. Whatever though, like, what are you gonna do with it? They, it is what it is. Um, it kind of gave me nodes of both um, to all the boys I've loved before, and also Love Simon. I mean, I love Simon for kind of obvious reasons, like teenage boy is uh, like coming to grips with his sexuality, but also to all the boys I've loved before, just sort of in like the more high school oriented drama of it and maybe a little bit less of a budget um so there were some moments in the movie where <sighs> some of the line deliveries just felt a little messagey um or the acting just felt a little i don't know cheap maybe doesn't seem like the right way to say it but you know maybe with a little extra budget it would have been 
I don't know how to explain it, but I honestly thought it was cute. The main character, Alex, um, is, I guess he's a senior getting ready to go into college. He's got a a best friend turned girlfriend um, with his girlfriend... Claire. Um, they're both super into biology and he's hoping to go um, to college to learn about biology. So seeing all the like animal tie-ins to the movie was really fun for me as a big animal lover. Um, and he's had this girlfriend for a while and she's apparently been sending him vibes like, hey, maybe we should do the deed. And um, they finally make a plan to do it. And as they're kind of in the works of figuring out the plan to get together and have sex for the first time he goes to a party and meets a a gay guy at the party and then starts to have feelings for this guy um gets confused yeah. according yeah. to the synopsis yeah, the synopsis makes it seem really dumb but it's played out really sweet um and he starts to have feelings for him and then thinks like maybe i'm bisexual and then he's like no no no, i can just have feelings for a guy right like that's normal it's just a guy crush um but it's not and he's kind of coming to grips with that and i just thought it was portrayed really sweet um all the characters are very genuine and the I think the attraction and the interest in one another is very genuine and um I like how it came together at the end I felt I was smiling a lot of the movie and I especially really liked the romance with him and um his friend that he meets Elliot um and I felt like that chemistry was really there so I would recommend it it was for fun I think it's it's a good sign for LGBTQ representation in cinema that they're they're getting their own middle of the road semi-boring rom-coms you know that shows that (laughs) that shows that there's true you know there's there's true progress being made you know you know when progress is made when when you get a middle of the road boring rom-com or just any boring movie like you're just like yeah we're making progress It's weird in the movie, like I said, there's a lot of moments where it feels kind of like messagey or like they purposely put these lines in there to seem like they know what they're talking about or something. There's a lot of lines in the movie where like um, the high school characters are just spewing off like, oh, he's pansexual. Oh, he's bisexual. Oh, I think he's polysexual. And it's like, did teenagers really talk like this openly and this uh, knowledgeably about different queer identities? I don't know. Um, No, I think they just (laughs) talk about Fortnite. So... <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think some they of that care. felt a little, a little heavy-handed. Maybe like, look at all the queer identities we're aware of. They actually didn't mention pansexual, by the way, but do mention. Oh, I just love everybody, but never say pansexual. So that's a little funny. But they do talk about like polysexual, polyamory, and and bisexuality, gayness, and stuff like that. Um, I think people should check it out if you liked two other girls or if you loved Love Simon. Um, it's it's fun and it's very cute, and I think that the kind of the marketing that went behind it just down to like the images they use for it and the descriptors they use for it kind of sells it short and makes it seem sort of silly but it really was sweet and it was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it made me smile a lot (laughs) good well it's on netflix so you can watch it whenever um to wrap up i want to real quickly talk about this film that i caught this past weekend called most beautiful island it came out last year it is the directorial debut of a spanish actress named ana asensio uh she directed wrote starred in and produced this film and the it's about her she plays a young undocumented woman who's living in new york she's struggling to make ends meet and so a friend of hers offers this to allow or yeah offers to uh let her fill in for a job that she was supposed to do uh later that night she said it's a good pay it's uh 
<clears throat> it'll help make up you know some of the uh, the money she's looking for her rent and etc all that all that stuff so for the first this is about this movie's about 80 minutes or so 80 85 minutes not it's it's a little under 90 and for, probably for the first i don't know hour or so like it's it's pretty standard like this is a a young woman who you know kind of on the outskirts of of a traditional american uh uh outside of the outside of a traditional american system you know she's she's trying to like i said make ends meet and just survive to this point and then this movie turns into like a a whole other thing for the last 25 30 minutes and it was stressful let me tell you <laughs> so for those who have seen the movie enemy let me just say let's that's the wavelength we're getting on at that point <laughs> and more more and more ways than one i'll just say that so giant spider kind of ways or, uh, <laughs> or not gi- not giant but spiders are involved giant ass spiders <laughs> so so, wait, wait, the, so the if, gig- are you saying if you liked spider-man you would love this movie ah! yeah this this is the this is the real spider-man ah. this is <laughs> live action um, yeah so so oh, her no. so, so the young woman uh goes she has to go and she uh she gets this uh dr- this cocktail dress that she's she's supposed to get she gets her heels on she goes to this job she it's being described to her as like this kind of ritzy party she's supposed to go and talk up people uh and just kind of play this uh, affluent party guest and she'll get paid for doing that and uh the, the her the, her friend describes it to her where uh the people at the party may ask her to do stuff but it's optional it's up to her but there's more money involved in that and all this and she, she gives all these qualifiers and stuff so she shows up first you know it's going bad when she get, when she shows up at this random restaurant in Chinatown in New York and she's at the address that she's supposed to be at she goes like yeah i'm supposed to be here for this party and this like giant this door from the from the ground beside the uh the restaurant flings open and she has to go down into this like tunnel area that's already a bunch of red flags then she gets into a taxi and shows up at this like abandoned warehouse another bunch of red flags then she goes into this room and there's these like six or seven other women who are standing in a semicircle with little circles that they're standing in so a bunch of other red flags go up so pretty much what this movie t- it goes from this young undocumented woman who's trying to survive in New York City and just make you know struggle to to make ends meet into rich people are fucking weird because it's like you know that you know in Game Night uh did you guys see Game Night earlier this year you know the one character who's like obsessed with the rich people fight club it was kind of like that moment like i was just like oh it's rich people fight club but instead of like fight club it's rich people walk out pick which woman they want go into this room and i guess bet money and make them do bizarre shit and so the the character we've been following has to go into the room with her friend because I guess her friend's in trouble. And what they do is they've been carrying these like at the at the China at the restaurant in Chinatown that she went to, she got this like handbag purse thing. 
and they open up the handbag and there's these poisonous like deadly poisonous spiders that were in these little boxes and so, so the, the women this 80 minute movie like dude it's, it's crazy and so then uh so then they have to, the women have to like strip their clothes off lay uh lay down in this uh like clear coffin and just lay flat down and the spider has to like crawl on them for two minutes and it's like they pretty fear factor (laughs) it is it's like it's like fear factor and so and it's and and it's like this spider with one bite will pretty much kill you and so the spider's like so and it and and, uh ana sensio who of course is in the coffin with the spider crawling on her is also the way she directs this she gives you like these close-ups of the spider's face and its little fangs and its legs and and I was just mm, it was it just did I'm feeling like this is the origin uh, story for the next Spider-Man. it was it was too intense I it, it was <laughs> there was a lot there was too much spiders um but very well directed movie I like like legitimately she needs to do like a straight horror movie this is more of just a twisted thriller like she needs to do give they need to like give her like Blumhouse is giving people stuff like let Ana Asensio just do a straight horror movie because like she's a very talented director I left this movie like nope not because of the content not because of like the the degree of ability that she shows in all facets between writing directing starring and producing but more the ending of this movie is centered around these spiders and I was physically uncomfortable for 20 minutes but if that's your thing, most beautiful island. I mean, I will say that as you in the we're in the middle of describing that, I did add it to my watch list. So how can yeah. I watch it, Zach? <laughs> you can watch it. I think it's. I don't know if it's streaming. I caught it um, at a with a group uh, that meets here in Savannah, but I think it's uh, available to rent. You know, on Amazon. YouTube, iTunes, all those stuff. It's it's worth checking out. It's like I said, it's very well directed. I, I hope that they give that she gets more opportunities to do stuff. And like I said, I would love to see just a straight horror movie from her because uh, yeah, she she milks that that horror for the last twenty minutes of this movie when you're in that room, and uh, it's yeah, it's. I am cautiously intrigued. I'm gonna put it <laughs> yeah. on my horror movie watch list for next October. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think Andrew would really dig this movie. I'd, I'd be curious to hear his thoughts on Most Beautiful Island. But yeah, it's it's a uh, I can't like like I just I, I literally left and was just like nope. And then I met I met people for drinks afterwards, and the one person who was there before me already had like a drink. It was like I needed this. I couldn't deal with that movie, and I was like, you gave me I three and what, stars. I need what she's what she's having. Yeah, no, so. I had I, like I got to say that it was really fun. Anyway, most beautiful island. <laughs> Check it out. Right. Um, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back talking adaptation after this. Hey, Cinematariots. This is your co-host Lydia Creech with an important message during this break in the show. Cinematary would like you to know that we do not want your money, and we don't want to place ads in the show at this time either. That's not why we do this. We do it because we enjoy each other's company, and we want to bring you our pure, unadulterated opinions on the world of cinema. However, there are a few things you can do to help out the show that we would greatly appreciate. First, leave us a review on iTunes, four or five stars only, (laughs) to help us reach more listeners per the algorithm gods. Secondly, send us a tweet at Cinematary, or better yet, send us an email at Zach at Cinematary.com. That's Zach, Z-A-C-H, so we can hear from you guys for a change. 
I'd especially like to hear if you're a human and not an android who also likes Blade Runner, or maybe you have a suggestion of a movie you would really like to hear our opinions on. Regardless, let us know your thoughts and we will read them out and respond to them on future episodes of the show. Finally, please share the show with friends and members of your family who you think would enjoy listening to and participating in our film discussions that we bring to you guys every week. So, to recap, review, send us your thoughts through Twitter and email, and please share with your friends and family. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love. So happy together If I should call you up Invest a dime And you say you belong to me And lose my mind Imagine how the world could be So very fine So happy together And we are back with part two of episode 226 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be continuing our Listener's Choice series with 2002's Adaptation. Adaptation was a suggestion by listener Aileen. Uh, Aileen is an art conservator from Brazil, and she currently lives in Portugal. Honestly, that sounds like a cool job. I want to change jobs. Can I go to Portugal and be an art conservator? with Aileen probably she should if I'm pronouncing her name correctly (laughs) and if I'm not I'm sorry right if you're listening (laughs) if you're listening I'm sorry and I want to be I want to work at your job with you because that sounds super fun anyway she says I'm not a big expert on movies but I do like your podcast a lot which I came across by browsing Spotify for cinema podcast shout out to our new Spotify listeners we're official all right and thank you Aileen for listening to the podcast Adaptation came out in 2002. It's directed by Spike Jones from a script by Charlie and Donald Kaufman. The film stars Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, Brian Cox, Tilda Swinton, and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, the film centers around Charlie Kaufman, a confused L.A. screenwriter, overwhelmed by feelings of inadequacy, sexual frustration, self-loathing, and by the screenwriting ambitions of his freeloading twin brother, Donald. While struggling to adapt The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean, Kaufman's life spins from pathetic to bizarre. The lives of Kaufman, Orlean's book, become strangely intertwined as each one's search for passion collides with the other's. Adaptation had been in development as far back as 1994. Jonathan Demme brought the project to Columbia Pictures with Kaufman writing the script. Kaufman experienced writer's block and did not know what to think of The Orchid Thief. He ultimately wrote his script based on his experience of adapting the book into a screenplay, with Spike Jones signing on to direct and filming finishing in June of 2001. Although it is billed as an adaptation of The Orchid Thief, its primary narrative focus is on Charlie Kaufman's struggle to adapt the book into a film while dramatizing its events in parallel. Adaptation also adds a number of fictitious elements, including Kaufman's twin brother, also credited as a writer for the film, and a romance between Orlean and LaRoche, and culminates in completely invented events, including fictional versions of Orlean and LaRoche's three years after the events related to the Orchid Thief. 
By September 1999, Kaufman had written two drafts of the script. He turned in a third draft in November 2000, and he explained the idea of how to write the film didn't come to me until quite late. It was the only idea I had. I liked it, and I knew there was no way it would be approved if I pitched it. So I just wrote it and never told the people I was writing it for. I only told Spike Jones as we were both making Being John Malkovich, and he saw how frustrated I was. Had he said I was crazy, I don't know what I would have done. Originally, Tom Hanks was set for the double role of Charlie and Donald Kaufman that ended up going to Nicolas Cage. Meryl Streep expressed strong interest in the role of Susan Orlean before being cast and took a salary cut in recognition of the film's budget. John Turturro was approached to portray Jean, John LaRoche, while Cooper strongly considered turning down the role, but accepted it after his wife urged him to. Albert Finney, Christopher Plummer, Terrence Stamp, and Michael Caine were considered for the role of Robert McKee, but McKee himself suggested Brian Cox to the filmmakers. In 2003, uh, Spike Jones told The Guardian uh, about working with Kaufman, saying, A lot of our raw material comes from universal experiences people don't want to admit to. It's like we're interested in how a neurosis takes hold of you, the loops your brain goes in, and the through the thought patterns you lock into. Like you have a great idea and you're about to tell someone, but your excitement is instantly outweighed by agonizing over how you're going to phrase it. On whether the film remained true to the tone of the screenplay, Kaufman said, Adaptation is an interesting thing because it's an extremely modular structure. The order is completely open. It isn't arbitrary. I mean, it's all intention, all on my part. But at the same time, when you're cutting any movie, you're moving stuff around because you have to or because you've cut out scenes and you need to make things work again. Inevitably, you do move things, and with a more linear story, there are certain constrictions. It leaves you options, but not as many. There are infinite infinite number of options to adaptation. It's sort of a godsend, but it's also daunting because you never really know how to ultimately structure it. You say to yourself, oh, you could do this, or wait, we could do this, move this here, and it goes on and on. So it's been, it's been tricky. We've, we're probably about two thirds of the way through at this point, and we still have to shoot. So we'll see what kind of shape it takes. Uh, New, the New York Times at the, in their review of the movie said Cage and Jones share a casual daredevil sensibility and the two of them or should I say the three of them pull off one of the most amazing technical stunts in recent film history the LA Times said or the LA Times called it the boldest most imaginative studio film of the year the Boston Globe call it a, an epic funny tragic demanding strange originally boldly sincere film and Roger Ebert said Charlie Kaufman's screenplay for adaptation has it three ways it is wickedly playful in its construction it gets the story told and it doubles back and kids itself there is also the sense that it to some degree it's true that it records the torments of a screenwriter who doesn't know how the hell to write a movie about orchids and it has the audacity to introduce characters who we know are based on real people and has them do shocking things so on that note let's talk a let's talk a little bit about adaptation um and i guess the the first thing i kind of want to talk about is uh i was telling jesse before we started this segment that this is a very college movie i feel like a lot of people saw this movie in college and it kind of sparks this most most often than not it sparks this kind of uh creative spell in you um i guess for 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 you for you all what uh when was the first time you saw adaptation was it was it during college and did it uh have an impact on you i think i remember seeing it we did it for cinema club yeah i I think i remember seeing it before that and it not really doing anything for me but i do remember watching it with cinema club and thinking oh my gosh this is so much fun 
Um, so maybe that was the first time I had seen it, um, or maybe I had seen it before and didn't really think much of it. I'm, I can't remember, but I think, yeah. I mean, when we showed it for Cinema Club, that was the first time I'd seen it. I think why it makes such an impact is because Kaufman. I mean, it's a screenplay he wrote about like breaking all the rules of a screenplay, and so I mean, basically, like really playing, I guess, with how movies work and when you're in college that shit is so cool i mean it's still cool i'm not (laughs) but it's especially cool it's like oh you're learning about it for the first time and then just like who just throwing it all out basically it's like oh so zach you were talking about during your kind of opening um info about the movie you were saying people were asking like how much how original how true is it to the original script of it blah 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 is there speculation that a lot of it was cut out and that or that that it that didn't play true to the original cut of it? No, I think it's just it's just such a you know like like Lydia was alluding to it's just such a, such a radical script. It's it's kind of breaking rules and doing all this stuff and so it's kind of trying to figure out is this because I think that this is all is has been the case especially for Charlie Kaufman's movies that he didn't direct uh, and maybe a couple of his with Spike Jones uh which is you know is it a Charlie Kaufman movie or is it a Spike Jones movie it you know it's kind it's trying to delineate who is the the kind of creator in this and I think both of them have each done separate things to show that they probably each brought a little bit to it but there seems to be something very singular about Kaufman's vision in this like Spike Jones feels very secondary uh in this movie compared probably actually I would say he's kind of third behind Charlie Kaufman and then a lot of the stuff that like Nick Cage and Meryl Streep and these actors are doing because outside of the writing the performances I feel like are also I mean Nicolas Cage is playing uh, you know twin brothers (laughs) so so in real life he was supposed to like just legit make a movie about the book the orchid thief which is just honestly completely about orchids and like a guy who got some orchids and then he couldn't do it and then he was like hey how about this very um self-aware script about me writing about the orchid thief and how it's impossible to write and then everyone was like (laughs) yeah it'll work too and then they were fine with that. Is that how that went? Is that I mean, what I, I think I think it's one of those. He it's it just judging from from interviews that he he and Spike Jones were able to uh, I don't know c- convince them somehow. And, and 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 I think that people you know I, were impressed with being John Malkovich. And there was kind of this this early two thousands you know odd off the wall. Uh, kind of spell of movies and in Kaufman especially you know this was kind of very early in his career and I think that he was somebody that you know it's just he, he's it's they do it all the time in, in Hollywood where they find this this voice and they're like yeah let's 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 jump behind this no matter what and uh I feel like that was probably more the the driving force but I think he's right you couldn't have like pitched this and then said you, you couldn't have pitched this you had to kind of write it and be like here it is <laughs> Just hope that that worked out. Yeah, someone's like, please make this movie about orchids. And they're like, how about this movie about me that's about me writing about orchids? And then that's like not at all what they originally asked for, but I guess somehow they were still cool with it. (laughs) Um, Uh, Going back to the the point of about 
it kind of being a college movie. I feel like one of the other things that it gels with with the, just kind of people in that age, uh, and it's it's it. I feel like it kind of carries over to high school also, but it's just this deeply <laughs> yeah. self-loathing, neurotic. Yeah. Uh, you know, movie about, about this, all the, like just the neuroses and this, you know, I think it kind of lives in a different sphere than like a Woody Allen movie, which is another kind of, you know, neurotic spell type of movie. This one though, uh, feels like a very, like almost a precursor to what we see today with stuff like Bojack Horseman. Um, and, and a lot of the, 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 pieces of pop culture that are dealing with like uh, anxiety and depression and mental illness more openly. This one, it just has like this deep swell of kind of dark neuroses um, that I feel like kind of just really vibes with high school, college age kids, people, you know, who are, who are kind of feeling the same way. I mean, what, what do you guys think? It's just like sweaty man, very anxious, very like, oh, I need to stop sweating. Um, I was telling Zach, um, when I watched it with Cinema Club a couple years ago, um, I just, my favorite thing probably about the movie, I mean, it, it's fun, but my favorite thing is the opening dialogue. Um, it's, <laughs> and so after we watched it, I found the opening dialogue online and posted it on my Facebook because I was like, wow, this is profound. But I do think it's a lot of fun. Can I'm saying it? yes, I'm in charge now. Some of it? Okay. <laughs> just so pe- people who haven't seen it, people who haven't seen it will get a vibe of like this this narrative voice that carries throughout that's very sweaty and awkward and uncomfortable um uh get a get a vibe of what that looks like also imagine as i'm reading this like imagine sweaty nick cage um i always imagine that when i hear you talk so we're good thank you okay so it starts this is how the movie starts black screen for about like this whole this whole monologue which i might not read all of it but do i have an original thought in my head my bald head. Maybe if I were happier, my hair wouldn't be falling out. Life is short. I need to make the most of it. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. I'm a walking cliche. I really need to go to the doctor and have my leg checked. There's something wrong. A bump. The dentist called again. I'm way overdue. If I stopped putting things off, I would be happier. All I do is sit on my fat ass. If my ass wasn't fat, I would be happier. I wouldn't have to wear these shirts with the tails out all the time. Like that's fooling anyone. Fat ass. I should start jogging again. Five miles a day. Really do it this time. Maybe rock climbing. And then he just goes on and on. (laughs) And then he's like, why should I be made to feel I have to apologize for my existence? Maybe it's brain chemistry. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. Bad chemistry. All my problems and anxiety can be reduced to a chemical imbalance of some kind, misfiring synapses. I need to get help for that. But I'll still be ugly, though. Nothing's going to change that. (laughs) It's it's so much fun. I mean, sad, but fun. (laughs) It's so much fun um, that it's just it's just that kind of consistent voice trekking along throughout the movie of like him kind of criticizing himself, him kind of thinking of himself. And I think we all have that voice too. like, am I looking? Am I sweaty? Do they notice that I'm sweaty? Do they notice that I wore this shirt yesterday? Do they notice that? um, I don't know this and that and that that we all have. We all have this voice. um, And it's just kind of refreshing to hear that and see that going on in somebody else. Um, somebody who's obviously successful, much more successful than I am, I guess, um, to see that that's kind of carries through with them too. Um, but it's also really, really, really painful at times. Like there's a lot, a lot of his interactions, especially with the kind of, uh, different love interests that he has. With the waitress. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 oh 
you've ruined her whole day. I, I recently listened to uh, an an interview with with Judy Greer on the Talk Easy podcast, and she and she specifically they, they talked about that scene and adaptation, and she because she was talking about remembering uh, filming it, and she was just like just talking about how it's it's so deeply uncomfortable because he misread there's just that, no yeah. <laughs> yeah he misread it and there's just no way out of it and it's just you know gross and you it's just all like uh, like it, that scene is just so but you have a couple of those because he th- there is this whole whole line of sexual frustration through the movie where it seems like every female character that he's coming in contact with ends up in this kind of in this dream sequence where he's having sex with her that uh takes you inside of like this kind of male brain um which i feel like we probably have a little bit less um I get uh, le- you know, less patience with, I, I feel like. Yeah, and- I didn't have a problem with it when I saw it the first time, but this time I was like, really, dude? Really? Yeah, so that was, that's what I was wondering. I mean, what, what what was your patience level on that, become, you know, in 2018 compared to 2002 when this came out? Not high, because it's like, oh, that's the problem. <laughs> you can't not do that. Uh, I don't know. I think he's making fun of himself, but like he's clearly very pathetic. And it's like a sad thing that he's doing. He is. But and I I don't know if I'm supposed to feel more sorry for him or like hate him a little bit. I think a little of both, you know? It's okay. it's not like you're supposed to be like, it's okay. It's like, no, dude, that's gross and you don't need like 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 just because you came in contact with <laughs> yes, this woman yes. doesn't mean you have to fantasize about having sex with her but that's what for for, for a, a long period of the movie it's just like every every woman please, it's please and, don't. I, yeah i don't i think there is there is pity of course but at the same time it's not like you're absolved of your behavior um i don't know if i was uh, yeah um does he is there also a fantasy sequence of him and his like girlfriend in the movie or is she actually excluded from that? I can't remember. I don't think that he has a he, he has like a fantasy sequence with his actual girlfriend in the movie. I think it's he does. I don't think so one. actually now that you no, say it. No, I don't it. think he does. He does with his agent, the waitress, and then Orlean. Maybe it's supposed to be a I don't know. A critique of like. I mean, that's still not cool behavior. No. Like now he's put this one on a pedestal. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's supposed like... to be a critique of like something, something. The main dudes in movies get to get with all the ladies or something. I don't know. Is that a is that a trope? I don't know. Jesse, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts on how this um, this movie portrays the uh, especially the Kaufman character and anxiety and all of this kind of self-loathing and depression that he's dealing with. You know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm just curious compared to other movies you've seen that are dealing specifically with mental illness. I mean, how do you, how do you feel like this movie portrays it compared to them? And is it effective? Hmm. Let's see. Well, I think anxiety is definitely with him. Um, That like kind of constant, anxious narrative voice throughout, um, saying a lot of the same things, singing a lot of the same things, um, doubting himself, that's anxiety, um, that kind of overproduction. And he even says it in his dialogue, this like, um, bad chemistry, misfiring synapses. I mean, it's an overproduction of thoughts just haunting you over and over to where you're not even aware of what's going on. Like when he's having the conversation with, um, uh, shoot, what's her name? The agent. 
Tilda Swinton. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn her name. The Tilda Swinton character. <laughs> he's not. He's half listening to her and half sweating. More, but maybe like twenty percent listening to her, eighty percent sweat. Um, that's anxiety. Uh, in terms of depression, I don't know. Um, well, it's 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 interesting because you literally have these physical embodiments of like id ego and super ego because you you have the ego that's it, it seems like generally is uh, the Charlie character. You have the super ego with Donald, and then we've been you know I feel like he d- dips into it a little bit the- as we've been kind of mentioning. I think Donald might be the id. Wait, which one's the doesn't? Which one's the very carefree? <laughs> Doesn't want to do it. I think that's Donald, the id. But he's not even really that. He's not that wild. Maybe his like fantasy sequences are kind of his id. Um, him doing the things that he wouldn't do in real life. Well, just think- like how he's. Um, he has that moment where he's like debating whether he's going to go run after his girlfriend and like kiss her at the front porch, and he's like, "This could be something we tell her kid, our kids." I'm going to do it right now. Drives and away. Then he drives away. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, maybe that's. The id voice, or that that I guess id, so to speak, in the in the movie of his, his, the things that he wants to do, the things he doesn't actually have. Well, like Donald is who he projects, because I mean, it's even like a top googled thing. Like, does Charlie Kaufman have a twin brother? <laughs> uh, he, which he made up for the film uh, screenplay, and it's like that's who he projects. I guess maybe not the better version of him, but like the less in his head all the time because all of these dumb script ideas that Donald throws out it's like maybe you kind of wish you could do that and like not be so up your own ass about it being like genius not even be aware that this yeah, is yeah, yeah. overdone or this is a trope just like this would be it's fun like I'm gonna do it and not even think twice about it yeah carefree yeah. versus only caring can't stop caring um and, and kind of to that point uh what do y'all make of of nicholas cage's performance because i'm just thinking of the uh, you know it's, now it seems it seems like nicholas cage is like this almost granted I'm, I'm 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 uh i'm basing this on mandy but he almost has like this meme quality like uh he he doesn't even personify an actual character it's just nicholas cage you know it's it's he kind of takes over this whole other uh aura um but it's, it's it's, it's it's easy to forget that he had you know a, a bunch of incredible roles uh you know thinking of like raising arizona and leaving las vegas and stuff like that and this one feels very uh off the beaten path for him and like i said he's playing two different roles um i mean what do you make of his performances yeah i remember thinking kind of recently i think maybe after we watched mom and dad um is that what it's called mom and dad if I never see another Nick Cage movie again, that would be just fine with me. Um, and that sounds like such a rude asshole thing to say. I don't care. But and then I saw this and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess there are parts of him that I really like. Um, I. Yeah, I think he does a really good job with it. And when you were saying that Tom Hanks was considered for the role, I got a little mad. Like, no way. Tom Hanks couldn't do this. This is perfect for Nick. Um, <laughs> he really he really does. I don't know, creates this really just like, so I don't know. I what mean, do you think, Lydia? <laughs> I'm having a hard time articulating. I think talking about his like meme, like quality, I guess this was before that, before yeah. he like, he took all those bad roles and was like shouty all the time. And it's like, oh yeah, he can actually act like I get that he's, 
sad or nervous without him having to telegraph it all over. Because most of it, I mean, a lot of his character is given to you in voiceover and then on screen, you're just like looking at him twitch. (laughs) (laughs) And sweat. Twitch and sweat. Um, And that's, I mean, that's different for Nick Cage or what we're used to now. I'm sad that he doesn't get... What we think about when we think about Nick Cage is very different than what this is. Yeah, he's much more... like verbally expressive like you said he's more yelly you know i i mean you have like this kind of uh you know it's i don't know i'm thinking of like his character in in mandy and how he's expressing like the the frustrations and and different plot beats and that and it's also uh overblown which i guess is kind of in in vogue with the with the the aesthetic it's trying you know the over the top aesthetic it's trying to do but in this in this one it it gets to an over the topness but at the same time he keeps this kind of grounded uh anxiety to the character so he never feels like he's just overdoing it it's also like a really talky role and again with the memification like in mom and dad or mandy or whatever like he gets quips or one-liners or that or like ridiculous dialogue that's hard to say and he kind of motor mouse through uh adaptation but it works (laughs) I i don't know he sounds really sad it's fun to see um, his two characters, you know, and, and they start off very, very different. Like one's just kind of happy-go-lucky, carefree, you know, goofy guy, Donald. And then there's Charlie, who's very anxious and self-aware. Um, and it's fun to see how these characters start off so different and then slowly merge more and more like one another. Like there's a scene where they go to New York to meet slash spy on Meryl Streep character and um i have a hard time distinguishing who's who um they're like they're talking to one another and um charlie's character is sitting on the bed reading the book that donald's character was reading earlier in the movie um who and donald is like you, you need to read this this guy is awesome he's going to teach you how to be a screenwriter <laughs> and then charlie's sitting on the bed reading it while donald is doing research quote unquote but actually looking at a porn site for the uh the script um <laughs> And it was hard for me for a minute to tell who was who, unless you're paying close attention, or I kind of might have fallen asleep and then had to rewind. <laughs> um, so I was a little confused. But so that might just be me being a little disoriented. But um, I don't know. What did you guys think of how the characters sort of start to blend? One becomes more mature and one becomes a little more carefree. I mean, that's part of the structure of the movie, right? Because like the more he brings Donald on, quote unquote bring bring he's not real but i mean the script starts uh, he's got a porn site and they're actually secret lovers and like she does orchid drugs (laughs) 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 which are you know like donald that's how donald would quote unquote i this is weird talking about (laughs) two of nick cage's characters (laughs) he's not real (laughs) Um, how donald would write it and it's like oh he's becoming more like this projection and then also adding in like sex and violence and all that Hollywood shit. (laughs) Yeah. It makes a movie though. (laughs) 
It does. The The other person I always think of in terms of performance is Meryl Streep in this movie, because I think she's not as like memeified or really at all as, as Nicolas Cage. But I feel like lately she does have some roles, you know, every once in a while she, she like, she, she gets like a really different meaty role and you're like, all right, here's Meryl Streep. But sometimes she's doing, you know, like the iron lady or uh julian julia or you know she's or the 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 julia oscar uh, yeah or, or the florence foster jenkins you know where she oh just where, instead of like ver- being verbal she's just going ooh, you know that, the whole movie and it seems like every once in a while she's just like i need a paycheck so i'm just gonna meryl streep you know it to the to the medium level and just you know get by and (laughs) and this one this one though i feel like kind of i mean i don't know maybe maybe it is ranked very highly among her performances because she just has such a vast you know career of of great roles but i feel like this one is is really unique in the fact that it's going kind of all over the place like she starts as this some you know like a real portrayal of Orlean. Yeah, yeah, and then and then when but but then when she's twisting into the the adaptation version of Susie and Orlean, like it feels so off uh, what you would expect from a uh, Meryl Streep role. Like it's kind of the same thing as we're talking about with Nick Cage, where she goes in this direction that's very different from what you're used to seeing from her. And I always appreciate that about her performance in this movie. It's something it feels it it does feel uh, unique to her other roles that she's known for. It's fun to see her like with the family in New York and they're all making fun of uh, this guy who she spent, I assume, quite a chunk of her time interviewing and getting to know. And when she's first like meeting him, she's writing like delusions of grandeur and stuff like that on her little notepad. But you see as she's with her family and they're all like making fun of him, there's this like longing in her eye and she really does miss him. And like the, the movie wants you is filling in that for you. Like, that probably probably didn't happen to the real author of the Orca Thief, but I don't know. Maybe. That scene reminded um, me of I think is it Francis Ha where she like can't quite fit in with all these snobby elite New York people. Um, so like maybe that happened. It, <laughs> it, I, I mean I don't know. I just. <laughs> Nathan's not here to defend how people in New York are. We're just people in the no, South making judgments. Rich people in New York. That's true. Screw rich people in New York. Um, just kind of like they're elitist and think they're better than, I don't know, hillbilly with no teeth. <laughs> they voted for Trump. We knew it. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just it's just kind of a visual of like how experiences can change I guess the way you take in your ordinary experiences, like going home and spending time with your family, and then you're, you're going to be thinking of the experience you had. And so that's, yeah, I don't know what I was going with that, but that's what she's doing. Well, it's, and it also kind of plays into the whole uh, notion of adapting because, I mean, I've never read the full Orchid Thief book, but, you know, maybe one of the things that Charlie Kaufman kind of took away from it was he could see this, uh, or at least, or maybe he implanted it on it himself, but he kind of saw this, like, allure to the life of John LaRoche by Susan Orlean through how... Uh, you know, she began to, you know, maybe, you 
you know, become, become more sympathetic and understanding and, and engaged with kind of the ideas that he was presenting. And that's just kind of one part of the nature of the adaptation that you kind of, even though it, 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 this is based on a real person or in, in the case of adapting something, maybe it's, it's based on a, a, a character that's already established, like the act of adapting it, the act of taking this, this already established thing and creating a, we pushing it into a new form. You kind of implant your own understandings and perceptions onto how uh, these characters are interacting and are feeling up to stuff. And so I think that kind of plays into just the nature of adaptation itself. Well, it's like trying to uh, draw some sort of through line in a life that you or some you're just kind of dipping in and trying to pull out like something coherent or thematic. She's fascinated by the idea of being so fascinated by something, like how how moved right, and passionate yeah. he is about uh, plants. And she's like, "Yeah, I'd write stories about people, but you can tell that that's it." it you, she, she's questioning how meaningful that really is to her when you, she can see how meaningful what he does is to him. Especially when she goes home to her family and they're all like pretty shitty about him, <laughs> like. Oh, like this person actually has something he's not cynical about, at <laughs> yeah. least. No, that's true. She does a good job of um, showing, you know, both that longing this character has and then just this <laughs> completely different person than we see through most of the movie um, at the end of it when it's quote unquote written by Donald Kaufman. <laughs> um, this very, very different person. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on adaptation before we we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's definitely a unique kind of um, unexpected in, in the avenues that goes, and um, kind of definitely not as uh, icky vibes as maybe it's not as icky vibes as uh, being John Malkovich. That movie is one of those that I always walk away from loving being John Malkovich but also feeling kind of dirty like I need to take a shower I think this isn't quite on that same I think that's why you watched John kind Malkovich. of just grody wavelength <laughs> as that but it I mean it is kind of icky as we've kind of talked about in some ways um I think I think it's it's fun and um kind of human in a lot of ways uh to I also think it's fun and I'm like if you want your neurotic white guy fix and like Woody Allen's canceled. This is not a bad substitute. I mean, he's doing different things, but it's still just he's depressed and like putting it all on screen for you. So there's that. And not like not fucking mul- teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's un- <laughs> I l- I just like how you just shot Woody Allen there. Sorry. That's for you, Ron. I mean, I will say, like, I don't think you have to be a white guy to enjoy the film. Um, I I just finished up my last bits of papers for... I, I just finished up my last bit of papers for um, 
grad school this semester and I was relating pretty hard to his just like laying around with piles of papers all around him thinking like oh my god oh my god writer's block <laughs> it's like yes. I should get coffee no I, need oh, to I can reward myself with coffee like coffee. that whole that whole bit there I was like this is this has been me this last like month Done that. <laughs> um, so I, I, I see I, yeah I definitely can relate to that and I think that pretty much anybody has felt this guy at one point yeah. or another in their experiences <laughs> but it is definitely whiny white guy movie i was i was a version of that guy <laughs> when i pooped out my spider-man and, and the to the spider-verse review this past weekend so Don't i feel pull it back the curtain zach let him think it's just effortless no that's just no i'm just telling you this is what happened i'm being truthful i, I i'm still not i'm still not satisfied with what i came up with but i was like here it is i'm mad anyway uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely check it out. I think if you haven't seen it, it's very clever and fun and um, a refreshing ta- a refreshing re- reminder. Uh, yeah, I think that a little bit of the the luster that you that it kind of had when you watch it for like for the first time when you you know in high school or college is is gone a bit. But I still it it still is a it's a fantastic just tight script. Uh, and like and like I said, there are it is anchored more. By, you have these really great performances by Nicolas Cage and and Meryl Streep and, and Chris Cooper's great as well. Um, so yeah, it's good. I think it's streaming on Hulu. So if you want to check it out there, you can you can see it there. Um, but that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/cinematary, on Twitter at, at @cinematary, and on Letterbox at letterbox.com/cinematary, where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Next week will be our final listeners' choice series week. Uh, you'll have to tune in to see what movie we talk about. We got one more left and then we will have our best of the year roundup episode as we head into 2019. Um, yeah, yeah, it's right. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. It's been a whole 12 months coming. Uh, and, and, and be sure to, uh, to check out, go to cinematary.com. Like I said, I have my poop review of Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. We also have a review, uh, by Andrew from last week on Bumblebee, which I know is opening in theaters this coming up, this coming up weekend when this episode is released. So check it out. Uh, yeah. Until next week. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you later. (laughs) 